0: Uh, and I can try and figure out what's going on with my. Is there a cord over there? Got it. You. I can't imagine a day in which I would trip over anything on the stage. Nobody was here that day. <laughs> All right. Let's pray in preparation for the uh, the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father. Uh, Pray that you be with me as I, as I, uh, preach the word this morning. Um, help me to be, uh, help me to be faithful to your scriptures. Help me to be, um, just focused on, on your gospel. Help me to, um, be clear and, and, uh, Lord God, I pray more than anything that your spirit would be in, in my words, Lord, that, that it wouldn't be me speaking that, that you would be in it. And I pray that folks would, uh, hear from you today, that they'd, uh, know you more, that, that, the great alarm in their heart that warns them of, of needing to know you better would, would go on and on and on until they wake up and come to know you more intimately. Um, and I pray that you would help us to be the body of Christ, help us to be your people today. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> um, I uh, Can somebody please get me a glass of water? Uh, oh, there goes Abby. Walk. Um, <laughs> So uh we're working on 1st uh, Timothy today and uh before I get into this um, I I I wanted to kind of share a story. I I before I came to Big Sandy, I was a youth pastor uh at a couple of different places and I did youth work for uh I don't know 14 or 15 years, for a really long time. And at the first church I worked at, um, we uh we built this huge youth ministry. And for a number of years, we would take all of the kids that were able to go to this uh, these youth conventions in chicago right um, and and we would take like fifty kids or sixty kids to downtown Chicago for a weekend trip which I, it, it is as fun as it sounds um, <laughs> and uh every year and so like we 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 did this for year after year after year after year, and we got to the point where it was almost i mean it was it was very smooth running, and we, we had every little hitch figured out and every little problem ironed out, and in fact, actually, the last year, I remember it going so smooth, it was amazing, except for one part, one part. We, we had hotels figured out, and we had cars figured out. We didn't own a van as a church. Um, I know that's a weird thing for a church not to own. Um, thank you, sweetheart. Um, We didn't own a van as a church. And so what we would do is we would gather up a huge collection of adult volunteers and we would take 60 kids in cars, Um, you know, five or six kids to a car or five or six people to a car. um, And you would line them up. Like I remember this huge church parking lot. We'd line all the cars up and we would do our best to stay in a line on our drive to this uh, stadium that they would do this this. Um, youth convention thing in and and we would drive out there and every year every year We got stuck in in bumper-to-bumper traffic Going into the city over the skyway, which is this like $8 toll road that takes you into downtown, Chicago No problem. We'd park no problem. We'd go in never lost a kid Right, which i'm very proud of although sometimes I was praying for otherwise um, <clears throat> Every year Every year um, between – like we had this hotel room figured out where we were renting these. We would rent three hotel rooms or four hotel rooms. I'm not kidding about that. Um, but they'd be sweet, so they'd have like four rooms or three rooms. And we'd have kids piled like cordwood. But it made it so that it was as cheap as it could possibly be. And we had it figured out how to sneak the kids into the room without the hotel staff catching on to the fact that we had 60 kids in hotel rooms. <laughs> um, one year we got caught. One year – one of the adults disobeyed the rule and went to the front and said, I need like 30 towels. <laughs> and the alarm bells went off. And anyway, um, every year we would lose about half the cars on the way to the hotel. Every year. And so we tried radios and we tried driving in line and we tried different routes that would make it as easy as possible. The last year we went, every driver received a manila envelope with a packet of maps. And it was if, you know, when you pull out, here's how you get to the highway and drive to the hotel. This is the straightest route. If you screw that up, look around. If you see this, here's the map. If you see this, here's the map. And then we had the, in case of emergency, the one thing you can always do is stop, get out of the car, and look. And there's one thing you can see in Chicago, no matter where you are, The Sears Tower. And if you can see the Sears Tower, and you can see the John Hancock building, which is like the sixth tallest building in the world, right? Um, If you can see those two, you can look at where they are and how far away they are from each other, and you can navigate, based on that, to this road, which will go to this highway and get you where you're going. Even then, even then, and I remember people calling me, and I'd say, do you see the Sears Tower? Do you see it? Can you see the Sears Tower? The what? Oh my gosh, <laughs> the tallest building in the world. Or it was at one point, but if you take the antenna off, the other one it's still the tallest. Um, Stephanie, you just walked in. The Sears Tower is this building in Chicago. <laughs> you should visit Chicago once. It's a really nice place. It's actually not a really nice place, but it's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> So if you can see the Sears Tower, navigate by that. If you can identify one single thing, because the Sears Tower is amazing in that it never moves. And so if you know where it is, you can find the lakefront. And if you can find the lakefront, you can get onto Lakeshore Drive. And that there are highways that you can get to from Lakeshore Drive. And all you have to do is find this one building. And for some reason, that one standard navigating thing was just too hard. And I remember that last year, and I think it was the year that I was happy we never went again. It was like 3 in the morning and the last car pulled in. You've got more maps than they used to get to the moon. Like Lewis and Clark had more maps than you did or had fewer maps than you did. How did you not find this place? But it, it, it didn't matter because for some reason looking at a stationary landmark and navigating by it was just not something anybody was willing to do. I think they panicked is really what it is. Small town people get into a city and they panic. I'm not saying anybody here would do that. Um, we're working on the book of 1 Timothy. 1 um, Timothy is one of Paul's epistles to, uh, epistle means letter. It's just a kind of a complicated word that means letter. It is a personal letter written to Timothy who was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Um we have the book of Ephesians which is written to the same church and we've got an account of how Paul planted that church and everything else. I mean it's a it's a pretty well documented bit of um Bible history. And um he is giving Timothy advice on how to handle certain false teachings, how to handle pastoral stuff. He is it is a it is an advice letter from um the apostle Paul to a pastor Right, And it is a really good book um, Really quick, we're going to be looking at the last little chunk of the first chapter And it's like three verses The only reason I did it this way is I was going to do a bigger chunk And I realized that this little bit is the last part of what's called an inclusio That's a big scary word that is Latin And it basically means all of this stuff is included And it's a literary form, an ancient literary form That like... There would be a couple things in the beginning of a paragraph and a couple things at the end, and they would tie the whole thing together, right? And it was letter writing in the ancient world was an art. It is an art that is gone. Now we send pictures of smiley faces and thumbs up and donuts and junk like that, and we assume that you know what you're talking about, right? Um, But back then, you would spend forever writing letters, and they were complicated, well thought out, like sometimes very poetic literary works. And like the people would go to school to learn to write better letters. Is weird, right? Um, now you can text. Um, the world's always moving forward. Um, this inclusio, this is the last little bit of the inclusio, and it gives us some hints about how to read all of the stuff beforehand. Okay? Um, some of you guys in school maybe remember when you write an essay, tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them what you're going to tell them. And then you tell them what you told them. And it's a little like that. Um, and so we're going to kind of dive into this last bit of the inclusio. And it gives us a little bit of a summary and a little bit of encouragement. And in order to do this right, i got to review the chapter so far. Okay? Um, it starts out with, To Timothy, my true son in the faith. And it's this grandiose introduction. There's a lot of little interesting bits and pieces of information there. But he jumps from that into... You know, hey, there are all these false teachers. You need to be in opposition to this. You can't let these guys go around teaching nonsense. Don't let them speak in your church. Don't let them do this. Don't let them do that. This is the problem with what they're doing. And um, he, so he, like, like, all of this stuff about the false teaching, um, probably the nature of the false teaching was they were maybe teaching a kind of legalism. If you want to go to heaven, follow these rules kind of thing. Or you have to be more Jewish if you want to go to heaven. But we're not real positive that that's what it was. It's kind of the best guess. Um, Paul never goes into detail, um, which is kind of convenient because there's a lot of application here because it's not as specific. I'm trying to go through this quick. Sorry. Um, The big hinge bit in the middle of the first chapter is this, and it's the big thing, the big thing, and I I said it like 10 times last week, say it again this week, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So like the goal, the goal is love, right? Like, like. Knowing, knowing the scriptures, knowing Christ, having, like, a strong, firm grasp of, like, how the scriptures work, of good theology, of good doctrine, all of this stuff, it produces a good conscience, which in turn produces a pure heart, which in turn gives birth to love, and that, like, shapes how we act and interact with the world, right? And so having faith in Christ and knowing the truth produces these things in chain, right? And and we kind of work through that. If you missed them, they're on. Facebook, on the website, and I think they might be on the, the podcast, but they may not have been put up because Jess has been sick yet. Um, but all of this stuff, he says, listen, it all boils down to this. Sincere faith. Know what you believe and be real about it. You can't fake it. You can't be putting on a show. You can't be you know, chasing after something that's your preference and say, oh, this is the truth. It produces a good conscience, which in turn changes your heart, which in turn gives birth to love. He talks a little bit about the law, and then he explains the gospel again. And this is the bottom, like the, that sincere faith that's got to be rooted in this. It's going to be rooted in this truth that Jesus Christ, in fact, actually, I marked it off because I said, hey, I've got to read that out loud, um, which is why I brought my glasses up. I need to get a giant print one. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Um, <laughs> uh And now I'm not going to find it. There you are. Thank you for joining us. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost or the worst. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, so Paul says, "Listen, all of this boils down to this truth that God sees sin in the world, He sent his Son to die for us, he takes the punishment for all of the sins we've committed because he knows we can't earn our way to heaven, you can't be good enough to be saved, you can't be perfect, you can't like like be the most holy person in the room, and you know say, well, that guy's a bigger sinner than me, so i 'm going to heaven you can't you know You can't undo the garbage you've done in your life. And so like we, you know, the only way we're saved is through Christ. And Paul reminds him of this. He reminds him of this in relation to this, a sincere faith. This is the 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 fertile soil that faith is planted into that grows into something great. And so he says the gospel, and then he jumps into this last little bit, this inclusio. And so we're going to kind of work through these three verses. I've got, wow. Hopefully it won't take me quite as long to go through the three verses. Um, this charge, meaning this command he opened with in the opening like verses, he uses that phrase command, this command you have received and give them this command. And so Paul repeats this word, which is part of how we know it's an inclusio because there's parallels. This charge or command I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, which he says earlier, my true child in the faith. And so that's how we know there's a parallel. And so when we read it, we can say, oh, look, there are these parallels here. And so we know this is all one unit. And so he's doing this to emphasize the junk in the middle, not the junk, the treasure in the middle. Words mean stuff. Um, <laughs> my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage good warfare, holding the faith, and a good conscience. Now, by them you may wage good warfare. This is kind of pointing back to where he says, "Listen, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you're gonna have to slug it out with these guys who are false teachers. You're gonna have to address them. You're gonna have to deal with them. Um, you're gonna have to kind of manage the teaching that they're throwing out there." And so when he says, "May wage good warfare," it's kind of pointing back to that again. Um, there's an interesting little line there. These, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. We don't know what that is. <laughs> and like there's a million guesses. We just don't know. The general assumption, right, the way most scholars read this, the way folks have historically read this is that there were people early on in Timothy's like time in ministry who said this is the stuff God is calling you to do. This is your calling. This is the job God is giving you. Um, and that's a big deal because Paul... Has reminded him of an absolute truth, the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for us. The law only exists to tell us that we sin so that we can turn to Christ. That is its purpose. You can't be saved through it. Um, like, this is a truth. And that is, that is the Sears Tower in Christianity. Okay? So, like, when you get to this point where you're like, I wonder if that's true, get out of your car, look around, And you're going to see this truth. This is a truth that will never move, right? Jesus Christ, Son of God, died for our sins, right? And then he reminds him of another truth. These things were said about you. This is your job. This is your calling. This is what God is sending you to do. And so that's the second building, the John Hancock building. Stephanie, the John Hancock building is the sixth tallest building in the world. It's right down the road, and you can kind of see them next to each other on the t- skyline. Just since I know you've never been to Chicago. Um, <laughs> I'm picking on Stephanie. We're friends. <laughs> We're. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in accordance with, sorry, in accordance so he's saying, listen. You know what these truths are. And so you've been given this charge. You've been given this direction. Remember what you've been told to do and remember what you're here to do. So when you get to this point where you're confused or you're sidetracked or you're lost or where things look messy or confusing, back up and look at what you know is true. Right. Um, When I was in college, I learned to fix cars. It was the most useful thing I learned in college. And I learned it outside of the dorm building with a book because I am that guy. I'm the guy who reads books and learns to do stuff, right? And I would buy the Haynes manual because people who buy Chil- Chilton's manuals were raised by people who are not to fix cars. Um, the, the Haynes manual has like five pages right in the beginning that is a troubleshooting guide. If you turn the key and it does this, then try these things, right? And I memorized that section of the book. Right? And so if I have car trouble or if I encounter somebody with car trouble, the first thing I always ask is, what's the identifiable problem and what are the steps? Because I have that part memorized. Oh, the key, to, uh, turn the key, nothing happens. Do the headlights come on? What do the headlights do when you turn the key? Okay, well, your battery's dead. Oh, you're, you know, we'll check your alternator. Oh, maybe it's this. Oh, maybe it's that. And like, I know these because those are things that just don't change. Right? Unless it's a dodge and then you know it's the problem that it's a dodge. Um, I don't even care. I just, <laughs> I know it's a funny thing. Um, <laughs> look at what you know is true. Always come back to it. Why does that matter? Because Timothy's job is to deal with conflict in a church. Has anybody ever been involved in people who are arguing in a church? I mean, like, you could spread that out. Like, family, church, anything. Like, there are all sorts of ways that we come into conflict And it is easy to lose track of why we're mad. Early on in my marriage, there were times my wife and I would argue, and we would keep arguing, and then we'd find new reasons to argue in the middle of an argument. I'm sure we're the only people who ever did that. And by the fourth day we were arguing, we couldn't remember why we were arguing, but we were darn sure we were going to win, right? It is at those moments when you get out of the car and you look around and you say, where's the Sears Tower at? Where's it at? And that was one of the hardest lessons I learned in ministry work. It's one of the hardest lessons I learned in marriage. It's one of the hardest lessons I've learned over and over and over again. Back up and look at what I know is true. I know Jesus died for me. I know that I'm called to do this work. And this work involves me doing these things. This is what I know is true. Right? And if I can always come back to that, I always have my feet on the ground. Otherwise, I'm wandering. And if I forget that, in my relationships i forget that with my wife i can we can fight about all kinds of stuff and i can say all kinds of dumb things and i can treat her all kinds of ways and forget that jesus died for my wife right i can get into a conflict with a neighbor or somebody at work and i can act like a like a jerk and i can i can make poor choices and forget that's not what I orient my life around. My life is oriented around this unmoving truth that Christ died for me. I belong to him. And I'm supposed to be his representative to people. Get this, whether they deserve it or not. Because as Paul said earlier in the chapter, watch this, he said, Christ died for sinners of whom I am the worst. And if I look at my own sin, I can easily say, man, Paul might think he was the worst. That's because he never met me. And Christ died for me, which means that Christ can love this person even though, right? Christ died for them. And if I'm going to mistreat or if I'm going to be angry at or if I'm going to belittle or humiliate or whatever, it's not okay. I have to be Christ. And so if I'm going to wage good warfare, Good warfare is not just winning, right? I used to tell that, actually, it's a pre-marriage counseling thing I say all the time. You can win a fight and lose a war all the time, right? Um, right after the Battle of the Alamo, when 180-some-odd Texans were killed and 3,000 Mexican soldiers were killed in the process of killing those 200 guys, um, Santa Ana declared, this is a great victory, and one of his generals leaned over and said to the other many more victories like this and we're going to lose because you have to win right you have to be Christ like you have to you can you can fight a monster and become one and then you've lost yourself holding the faith and a good conscience why does he say holding the faith because if we let go of our standard if we let go of the truth if we let go of what's important then we're lost. Second Corinthians, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I love this passage. And the reason I love this passage is that word strongholds. Um, We we like to think of strongholds like the word is referring to like a fortress or like a dug-in point that's impossible to overturn. In this context, um, stronghold refers to we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. Now, when I fight my battles, about 90% of the time my battles I'm fighting are with me, right? And my strongholds are a lot of times where I'm angry at someone and I don't want to let it go. Or my pride is hurt and I don't want to let it go. Or my feelings are hurt and I don't want to step past it. And I have to back up and say, what is my weapon? Well, my weapon is that unmoving truth. What does that unmoving truth say about what I'm supposed to be doing here? What does Jesus tell me I should be? When I look at the other guy and he's saying, well, I can never forgive this person because I can say, if it's true that Christ died for you and died for this other person. If it's true that you belong to Christ, if it's true then blank. Like the truth of who Christ is is the is the hinge on which our life should should swing. Everything comes back to that. And it's in that truth we deal with arguments and pretension and foolishness. It's how we know God and we know him intimately is by knowing Christ. In Christ we see this perfect revelation of who God is. Um, Ephesians everybody knows this one right for our struggle is not against flesh and blood But against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms Therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground And after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist meaning like Know what the truth is and it holds everything together, right? The breastplate of righteousness. What protects your heart is the fact that you are in right relationship with God. Like what protects you from being knocked over is you know who you are in Christ. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Meaning I am ready to go anywhere and do anything because I know Christ died for me. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That faith. That knowledge that Christ died for me is what protects me from all sorts of things. You can say anything you want to me, and I know Christ died for me. And in ministry, I've been in ministry for 23 years, and I had this joke. I left church work for a while to go work in a mental health facility, right? And I was a chaplain there, and I used to joke that the best thing about working in the mental health facility was that the clients would try to punch you in the face, not stab you in the back. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> um, because working in church is hard. People will say stuff about you and never talk to you directly. I, I had uh, the one church I was at, they fought a lot, and I left that church. And six years later, I had somebody come and tell me about the gossip that they heard about me. It hurt, man. It hurt my feelings. It really did. And, and I had to pray about it and say, you know what? Like, none of what they said was true. Like, in that shield of faith, who I am in Christ, that fact that Christ died for me, it protects me. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Meaning, how do I respond to argument? How do I respond to nonsense? I respond with the word of God. I respond with like the salvation that protects my head. Like everything comes back to that. And by the way, you'll notice not a single one of these involves like beating the other guy up. Right? Hating anyone. Humiliating other people. Like this is about being in Christ and surrounding yourself with Christ-likeness. And you can back up and say, these things don't change. They don't. I might feel one way or another. Anybody ever notice how some things are good or bad based on your mood? Right? Some things become right or wrong based on which jerk you're talking to. Right? Like it's not okay to say things that are nasty to other people, but that guy. Or it's not okay to gossip, but... If you understood this person, obviously the scriptures wouldn't include them as somebody that's – the truth is the truth. Um, the reality is that our mood or our feelings or our, the world's attitude towards things, like the world will tell you, oh, this isn't sinful anymore. We were always wrong about that. Nope. Sin is still sin. Scriptures are They don't change just because our feelings and our attitudes change like the scriptures don't. They're like that Sears Tower, right? back up and I can say – What is this truth I know? Where is it? I see it on the horizon. It's right there, right? Now what's my calling? It's right there. I better start navigating based on that stuff. Thought about talking about the North Star, but I didn't have a funny story for that. By rejecting this, some have shipwrecked, have made shipwreck of their faith. Um, It's a really popular thing uh, in Christian culture. We see a lot of lighthouses. Right? That's the alternate. The Sears Tower is really just my lighthouse. I know where it's at. Um, Lighthouses exist so that you know where the rocks are, so you don't crash into stuff. And when we reject the truth, when we reject this standard, when we reject the gospel, when we reject these things that the scriptures have given us, we're unmoored. We have no direction. Sometimes the lights might flicker, and we're not sure why. I have no idea why it does that. Um, like, and we don't know. Like if we lose sight of what is true, we're preparing ourselves for a wreck. I, uh, when I first got my intern job in, uh, in Chicago, I worked in Chicago as an intern for a while, and I, I used to drive to work, and I would look for anywhere I could park for free. <laughs> yeah, the one person who knows. <laughs> the thing with Chicago is nowhere to park is free unless you're willing to walk miles. And I used to drive to work, and then I would park my car, and I would walk like two miles or three miles to, to my office. Um, and and this one time, the last time I did it, I parked my car, and I was walking. I'm wearing my suit. I'm carrying my briefcase, and I'm walking just wandering through the neighborhoods, again, looking at the Sears Tower, knowing that my office is three blocks away. And so I'm navigating by what I know is true. And as I'm walking along, I walk past this sign, and it said Cabrini Green. It doesn't exist anymore. Cabrini Green was the most violent, like, housing project in Chicago. And I walked through there, white suburban kid carrying my briefcase and my suit and tie, and I I walked right through the middle of it. (laughs) Nobody bothered It was like 8 a.m., so relatively safe. Um, (laughs) But I realized, oh, my gosh, it's a bad idea to just wander around the city and not know where you're going. Like, I I can't do this every week. I'm going to end up mugged or worse. Um, It's easy to end up shipwrecked if you don't know where you're going. It's easy to end up shipwrecked if you allow your feelings or your momentary sensibility or the frustration you're feeling or the worry that you're feeling, or the panic that's overtaking you, or the shame that you've got like over some mistake you've made, or some mistake that somebody else made, or the way that you feel insulted and hurt, or the loss you've experienced. If you allow those things to direct your life, you will end up shipwrecked. It will destroy your faith. And so we go back to the truth over and over and over and over again. Christ died for us. For many, this is Philippians, Paul again writing, uh, whom I have often told you and now tell you with even more, excuse me, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. The idea here in, first, or in Philippians, he's pointing back to He's saying, listen, These guys have got their hearts set on what their hungers are, what their appetites are. They're looking at the world around them, and these things have become their guide. And if those things guide you, you will crash every time. You'll become an enemy of the cross. I know good intention people, people with, like, the best who, like, desire to do the best, who desire to be, you know, these kinds of people that are helping folks, but they're doing things that make them enemies of the cross. And And it's heartbreaking. Um because you can do the right thing in a wrong way. And then Paul ends his section. He says, Among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We don't know that much about these two guys. They're mentioned in a couple spots. The long and short of it is they were teaching things about Christ that were just not true. And Paul says, Listen, there are folks out there who are, let me go back to, um, shipwreck of their faith. And he says, Listen, here are examples. These guys are examples of, of shipwreck of their faith. They have lost these truths and they've gotten lost as a result. They've wandered away from these absolute truths and they're lost. They're driving around Chicago not knowing where they're going. Um, what does it mean to hand them over to Satan? We don't know. It's a really obscure phrase. The Greek is kind of unusual. Um, the best we have is some guesses. My argument would be that it probably means they've been kicked out of the church, um, so that they can make their way in the, in the world. Like the idea being that the kingdom of Christ is in the church and the kingdom of Satan is in the world. And so they've been put out of the church and like outside of the church, they're on their own. And hopefully we'll come to learn that their teachings are, are offensive. They were teaching. I believe that Christ was created, but I'm not positive, um, And he's saying, listen, they were blaspheming Christ, so they're out. Like, this is not what we want. This is not who we want to be. Um, Know what the truth is. Orient your life around it. Don't get lost. And that's where Paul ends it. He says, listen, Timothy, you've got work to do. Remember the gospel. Remember your call. Do your job. And he gets into details in the following chapters, and we 're going to start in on that. Um, this is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of the month, um, we celebrate the lord 's supper i 'm going to call my guys forward, but as we prepare for this, one of the reasons that we do the lord 's Supper, one of the reasons that we do communion um, first off is that Christ commanded he said, "Listen, do this in remembrance of me." Um, he commanded his disciples if You know, if anybody believes in me, like this is a part of what we would do. And these outward signs, these, these, um, the elements, the symbols that we take in, these act as reminders. They remind us of the truth, right? They remind us of who we are in Christ. When we do baptism, we're reminded that we're buried in Christ, that we're washed of our sins, and that we're brought up. From the grave, brand new creatures. And as we take communion, we're reminded, as Christ said on that night that he was betrayed, take this and eat it. This is my body broken for you. And as we take the bread and we eat it, we're reminded that Christ was broken on our behalf, that We're called to consume him, to take him into the innermost parts of who we are and to become new, like make it a part of everything in us. And so if you're a believer in Christ and you're a guest with us, please join us in celebrating the Lord's Supper. I don't have music, do I? at that time Christ also took his cup and he gave it to his disciples to drink and he said take this and drink it this is my blood poured out for you do this in remembrance of me and as we take the cup we remember that Christ poured out his blood on the cross for our forgiveness for our grace for our mercy Um, take it and drink and remember Christ died for you That's a truth that never moves. It's a truth that will never abandon you. It's a truth that will never falter. Nothing, nothing, nothing can undo that truth in your life. Christ died for you and you are new in him. I uh, always like to finish up with a challenge, with a bit of encouragement based on what what the text tells us. I um, might challenge to you this week, like as you as you walk out the door, as you as you um, go out to lunch, as you resume your your life on Monday, um, is to look at your heart and look at your life and ask yourself, like, am I wandering lost? Am am I letting my whim of the moment or my impulse of the day or or um, some past thing that I've done or has been done to me like is that directing who I am like or am I orienting myself around the gospel and the call that God put on my life like are you being the person that God has designated you to be the person that God has called you to be are you acting like Jesus to the people around you um, or are you chasing after your own stuff or are you just waiting to hit the rocks and crash I'm close in prayer and I'll let you go Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us your grace and mercy this week, um, that with everything we are, that we would never cease to worship you, Lord, that that in everything that we do, that we would look to you and look for the truth of the gospel, look for the truth of Christ in our lives and pursue the way, the truth, and the life in everything that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a good Sunday.